0: What is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone.
1: Today we continue our series on the Advent as we prepare for the birth of Jesus Christ. We heard last week how we are right at the start of the new church year, and the way we start is with the apocalypse. We know two things with this. One is that God will surely come and change the fabric of the universe. And two, that God waits patiently before making these wholesale changes so that we have a chance to turn toward him. Thank God we have another day, another chance to say yes to God. Now is our opportunity, and that's certainly good news for all of us. On this second Sunday of Advent, we are looking at the time just before the start of Jesus' public ministry— even before he was baptized, and the story focuses on a relative of Jesus named John the Baptist. This is Jesus' cousin, and he plays an important role in preparing the way for Jesus. David is going to read our passage for us today. This is the very beginning of Mark's Gospel, which is probably written a little before the temple in Jerusalem is destroyed, but during brutal persecution of Christians in the city of Rome. This gospel is also written with the thought that the disciples do not understand Jesus' mission. They are confused and ignorant of what is to come for Jesus. But the beginning is even more wild. God has been silent for nearly 400 years, and then this. This is the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Hear now the word of the Lord.
0: The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, see, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the River Jordan, confessing confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit.
1: And from Malachi 3.1, See, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Indeed, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, make us an inclusive community passionately following Jesus Christ. Open us to your wonderful, unexpected surprises today. May Christ real in our hearts here in this place. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Many things in life can surprise us. Sometimes it's little things. Uh, My son has recently taken to standing just around the corner where someone is, and as they pass by, he jumps out and screams to try and scare them. Uh, Most of the time, it doesn't work, but no matter how many times we say, stop doing that, he can't seem to help himself. Sometimes I feel like I actually deserve to have my son try and scare me because of an incident from years ago. When I was a young boy, my father had come upstairs uh, to use the bathroom. Now, my father never came upstairs. I can't remember another time of him ever being up there in the five or six years that we lived in that house. So as he comes out of the bathroom, I was coming out of my room and thought it would be funny to say, Boo just just that quietly and when i did my father clutched his chest started hyperventilating and nearly fell down the stairs he said don't you ever do that to me again and now that i think of it maybe that's why he never came up the stairs in that house being surprised in these ways can be truly a bad experience But that's nothing compared to a story I heard this week. It started with a a news reporter that got a call from a landlord in Milwaukee. The landlord said he had tenants that were from the ATF, which stands for Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, a government bureau, and they had wrecked his place. He said they owed him more than $15,000 for the damage they did. If that wasn't enough, the story behind the damage was even more outrageous. The ATF had set up a fake clothing store to catch people selling guns and drugs. If you looked like a legitimate customer, though, they'd scare you away. They just wanted to catch the bad guys. The way they did it, though, really wasn't the best. They told these bad guys that they would buy guns at any price, so the guys in the neighborhood did what any smart entrepreneur would do. They went to the local gun store a few blocks away, bought perfectly legal guns, and sold them for two and three times the price at the ATF. At another point, one of the agents got robbed. He was parked at a coffee shop and didn't lock the door. When he came back, three guns had been stolen, including a fully automatic rifle, which normally only police and the military have access to. Then the coup d'etat, their clothing store, got robbed. Over $39,000 of clothes, jewelry, and merchandise stolen because someone didn't lock the front door. They never had an alarm installed or any other security measure. So when someone came by and found the front door unlocked, they stuck a shoe in the doorway. Neighbors found out and were just coming in and out of the store, taking whatever they wanted. Then somebody decided to rent a U-Haul and just loaded up the van with as much stuff as they could fit in it. The robbery took place over several days and led to the ATF shutting down their operation. The ATF, though, says the whole thing was a success as they made several arrests. Half the cases, though, were dropped or led to no jail time. Some people were arrested for crimes that they supposedly committed while they were already in jail. And as you already heard, many of the guns bought off the street were really straight from retail stores. Worst of all, This same situation was on repeat in multiple cities around the country. People buying guns to sell to the ATF and the rented stores being trashed, leaving landlords incensed. To me, the whole thing was a boondoggle, a complete and utter waste. Congress heard about it, and when they investigated, they found that the ATF had intentionally hired people with developmental disabilities and cajoled them into committing crimes. This was heinous stuff. It reminds me of a quote, I don't make jokes, I just watch the government and report the facts. Now, I know some of you are saying, hey pastor, the government doing something dumb is not that surprising, and I know it's not, but it's startling just how bad some of these situations can be. The government is trying to do a good thing. Get criminals and guns off the streets. Decrease crime and make our neighborhoods safer. But instead, we find a bad plan repeated in cities across the country. These actions ought to be offensive to us. That's our government. Those are vulnerable people manipulated by government officials. That's not right. We want the government to do what we think is right. And yet, here we are surprised by actions that seem totally out of step with what is right and what is wrong. Maybe that's happened to you. You knew what was right, but the people in charge just didn't seem to be on board with it. They did what seemed wrong in your eyes. Strangely, this offers a great parallel to what we see happening in the beginning of the Gospel of Mark. God had revealed uh, Been revealed to the Jewish people as far back as Abraham. They knew who God was because he had been revealed through the lives of the Jewish people and through the scriptures, yet there was something missing. Even from the beginning, people felt that something was wrong and that God was far away. Israel had this idea as early as 800 years before Jesus that a Messiah or anointed one would come and make the world right. They expected him to liberate Israel from captivity and usher in a new golden age for Israel. So Israel is waiting for this. They, they can't wait for things to finally be made right and for the guys in charge to finally do things the way they were supposed to be done. And John the Baptist comes on the scene as the first person in a long time uh, that is doing things to make a difference. He seems like the prophets from hundreds of years ago. He even wears the old crusty robe, just like the ancient prophets would have. He eats locusts and honey, which might seem really weird to us as a diet for someone, but the point of this, this food, was that he lived completely independent of society. He wasn't dependent on a community or beholden to anyone. You could trust that whatever John the Baptist said was coming from his deep An abiding commitment to following God. You knew what he said was God's word. People came out to see him speak. I'm sure he got a lot of attention, and what message does he give to the people? He tells them to repent, which sounds good. No problem there. Judaism had a rich and robust tradition around repentance. Many prophets throughout history had called for exactly that. But John the Baptist is a little different. He doesn't stop at just telling people to repent and turn away from sin. He tells them to get baptized. Now, you've got to understand what that meant back then. In Jewish tradition, the only people to get baptized in water were people who were not Jewish. It was a sign of turning away from whatever foreign religion they practiced and joining the Jewish community so for John to tell Jews to get baptized was like telling them none of them are actually Jewish. It challenged the basic notion of what it meant to be saved by God. This would, would have been a pretty serious insult. It would be like if I came up with a, a list of things that you had to do before I would let you call yourself a Christian, you can't get saved until you do what I say you need to do. You wouldn't like that, right? Right? I don't determine what uh, means that you can call yourself a Christian or not. You do that. You decide. So John the Baptist is being very presumptuous. His requirement for baptism is more than just a surprise, though. It's insulting. And Then John gives us a kind of explanation for this insult. He proclaims, the one who is more powerful than I is coming After me, I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thongs of his sandals. John, like the prophets of old, is preparing the way, urging people to repent and turn from their sin. But the reason he can be so bold about this is because Jesus is coming. And Jesus is far superior to John. When there was a rabbi or a great teacher, they would take on disciples. People who would learn from them and and model their teachings. John the Baptist is connected to this coming Messiah, but he doesn't see himself as a disciple. Disciples would do lots of small tasks for the teacher, except for the most menial of chores. It was almost exactly the same as what a slave would do for a master. Taking off a rabbi or teacher's sandals, though, was exactly one of those menial chores that they would never do. Neither a disciple nor a slave would do something so tiny And yet, here is John the Baptist saying he isn't even worthy to do this small task that was even below what a disciple or slave would do as a chore. John is saying his life is so radically controlled by God that even the smallest thing he does is in service to the Lord. And the fact that he is unworthy to even do these smallest of tasks reveals something radical and surprising about who God is. God is not our lackey. God does not live by the same code of conduct that we do. Scripture says over and over, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are God's ways higher than our ways. Ezekiel says, the Lord's ways are equal, but our ways are unequal. We think we are right, we think we know what is good, but surprise of surprise, God is the one in charge and God decides what is right and wrong. If we are going to be Advent people this Christmas season, we have to be open to the surprise of seeing things from God's perspective. We've got to give up our own notion of right and wrong and lean fully and completely on God. And many of us are like the Jewish people being asked to be baptized. What do you mean I need to be baptized? I've lived a lifetime following God, I've done everything I was ever supposed to. But what we don't see is that we've actually done. Uh, over and over what other people are telling us to do. We've met society's expectations. We've lived as the world expects Christians to live. Consider the college student who said, once I forsook my fantasy of having a painless, stress-free life, learning to follow Jesus was easy. I thought what I needed most was better balance in my life, then God showed me that what I call balance was just my illusion that my life could be lived completely under my control. Are you trying to live your life by your own rules, dictating what should and shouldn't happen to you? I bet if you do, you aren't looking for God to surprise you today. But that's exactly what John the Baptist invites us to do. Be surprised by this awe-inspiring, rule-breaking God. Consider the parent who sent their child to Duke University, a good United Methodist school, I might add. She said, help, I sent my child to Duke to be a success, and she has become a religious fanatic. By fanatic, this parent meant instead of graduating law school, the daughter went to Haiti to run a literacy program with the Catholic Church. That's a daughter who has heard the call of God to be a citizen of a whole new world, and it looks nothing like what we assume it must mean for our children. If you are unsettled, if you are discontent, certain that this world is not as good as it could be, if you can't sleep at night because what you see are the faces of hungry children on the news, or you have a a holy anger every time you see someone who has been abused, you might start to be seeing things the way God does. God doesn't call us to be nice to others. God says he's baptizing us in the Holy Spirit. In another version of this story, in the Gospel of Matthew, John the Baptist says, Jesus will baptize with fire. John's water is about repentance, about turning around, but, and about yielding your whole life to Jesus like a slave to a master. But Jesus brings unquenchable fire that will change the whole world. You think you know how things ought to work in this world? Well, the biggest surprise of all this Advent is John's reminder that it is not up to us. Our role is simply to obey. To get in line with what God has for us. Our past, what we've always thought was God, needs to take a back seat to God's call on your life. It's not going to be what you expect. It's not going to line up neatly with who you think God is and what God should do, because God is a God of great surprises. He chose to come to earth to be near to us in the form of Jesus, and to reveal a radical new agenda that will flip your world upside down. Let's end with this. On Chicago's west side, a man was invited to lead a prayer vigil after a young man had been gunned down by a rival gang around Christmas time. As he was arriving and snow came down, a huge crowd had already gathered. He wondered, what should I do? What should I say? As he looked over, over the crowds, he realized that most of these gang members were just kids, mostly teens with a few in their 20s. He was old enough to be the father of most of them. And he realized in that moment that they had been told repeatedly, repeatedly by authority figures how wrong their actions were, how foolish it was to be a part of gang violence. As he looked at them, though, he wondered, what would Jesus say to these young people? So he asked for permission to speak from his heart. When they said yes, he said, since most of you are half my age, I am the age of your fathers. Would you allow me to address you on behalf of your fathers? I know you have heard plenty of times that this back-and-forth violence in our neighborhood is complete nonsense. You've been told how destructive gang behavior is. But today, on behalf of your, fa- your dads, I want to say to you what should have been said a long time ago. My son, my daughter... Will you forgive me for not being there when you were little? Will you forgive me for not being there when you took your first steps? Will you forgive me for not being there to play catch with you when you were young? Will you forgive me for leaving you when you most needed me? Tears flowed from him and from many of the people gathered. That day, one righteous man repented, and hearts were forever changed. The same is true with us today. The great surprise we hear from John the Baptist and from God himself is not that the people out there are bad and need to repent. The great surprise is that the Lord is telling us we, in here on this Advent, are the ones who need to repent. May you allow God to turn your heart today And be saved. Amen. Amen.
0: For everything happening at Grace, check out our website at gumc.org.